When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good evening, sir. Come to give me a caning, sir. Would you like that, sir? What? Am I to gather that some practical joke has got out of hand? I suspect alcohol has played its part in this. I should have just enough residual awareness to let you in. But... Don't open it unless you... Hold to open. Hold to open. Yes, and what do you do? Those creatures would live forever to breed and conquer. Isn't it going to hurt? Oh, yeah. It hurts. But, in fairness, I will give you one word of advice. Here comes the drums! Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television program in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm John Smith. Uh, oh no, wait a minute. Let me just look at this pocket watch. No, I'm Chris Taylor. And uh, we have a very, very special episode of Pull to Open for you this week, because Pete, what don't they know? This time, there's three of us. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Stephen Shaplansky from Radio Free Scarrow. Hello, Stephen. Hi there. How you doing? Good. Stephen, I understand you're in Edmonton, which you declare at the beginning of each of your podcasts. Yes, I do. Uh, as if only to mention Edmonton on a Doctor Who podcast every single week. Um, where, where back on May the twelfth, nineteen ninety six, uh, a little TV station in Edmonton called ITV broadcast the world premiere of uh, of the Doctor Who TV movie. I two days re- before Fox. I remember it well, yep. because as has been mentioned on this podcast and longtime listeners will know, I am also from Edmonton. True. And we established before we hit record here that we don't know each other or we didn't know each other back in the day, even though we were some of the rare species of Doctor Who fans. Not as rare as you I, would think. I was going to say, Edmonton. I've now got this image of Edmonton just being full of Doctor Who fans. Like, it, well, it like it's Gallifrey one every day. Yeah. yeah. We just don't know it. We're just, re- you know, just I, I went to I, I played a, a music show last weekend in Camrose and uh, where I'm born but an hour away from Edmonton and somebody was dressed up as Dr. Who. And I said, Dr. Who, I pointed his car face says, you're the first person to get it. So, you know, we, we think we think we are numerous in number, but we're really two people, two people. So the whole of the place, may, maybe so. everyone's just new who fans now. And they it, don't a baby, or they just like me when I was growing up, thinking, let's just, let's just keep my Dr. Who fandom under. Wraps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even if you see a guy out on the street in a scarf, yeah. do not say it. Do oh, not admit it. No, don't want to out him. No, I'm so worried I definitely, that uh, the presence of yeah. both of you on the podcast, given given the the TV movie connection, is, is going to lead the randomizer to to pick the TV movie for us to to get that uh, triple Yahtzee of uh, of the Paul McGann uh, entry. 
Um, so yeah, it's totally. <laughs> it's, so Stephen, yeah. uh, thanks for coming on the podcast when it's such a dull time for Doctor Who and there's nothing going on and it's just so dead. Um, you know, it's it's just really you know I'm glad you're just filling your time just uh, doing stuff here with us. <laughs> filling your time? Oh, no problem. Yesterday, yeah. the busiest month in Doctor Who history, it seems. Hasn't there's it like been crazy? There's things, been eight things announced today. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's been but, nuts. You know. um, we'll get to some of that well, news in a minute. Yes. But, but first, I will... why don't you take the fine folks through our random adventure so far? Previously on Pull to Open, we have been jumping around the classic series for a little while, folks. In three stories ago, we were at a first Doctor adventure called The Mythmakers, a completely lost story. But there was a doctor in the horse. He eventually left the horse. And much later for him, but for the next story for us, arrived at future Earth and the moon moon. in the seeds of death. Well, he was on Earth first. Then he jumped (laughs) to the moon. There was a lot of jumping back and forth, which was made very convenient by a little system called TMAP, which we never see again. (laughs) It was foam (laughs) on Earth. It was a party. Well, there was another party in the basement of... uh, a Sir Reginald Stiles's house, a little wine and cheese party with none other than John Pertwee as the third doctor battling some gorillas as well as some gorillas in Day of the Daleks. Uh, but the randomizer, you know, it's always listening. It knows what's going on in the world, certainly in the world of Doctor Who. It knows a certain David Tennant is returning for the 60th anniversary special, which at this point, Listener is only two weeks away, and it has finally taken us back to New Who. We are at a doozy, folks. We're at Series 3, Episodes 8 and 9, Human Nature and the Family of Blood. And I, I gotta say, uh, just before we go any further, that uh, this is not just uh, the, the randomizer taking us back to any tenant. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why this connects to the uh, most recent stories that we've done. But also for you, listener, uh, this pull to open is going out on November the 11th, mm. 2023. November the 11th, Remembrance, Armistice, The Poppies. It's all here, folks. It's all here in this specific edition. So as you said, Pete, the, the pull to open randomizer pays attention to the world. Uh, as well, and and here we are in uh, a very very appropriate moment to discuss human nature. And, uh, it's always uh, taking us where we need to go. Indeed, randomizer. Stephen, has, has it been a while since you've seen this one? Uh, no, because um, I've uh, d- the lead up to the 60th anniversary. I've undergone one of my many pilgrimages, and I've been watching every, uh, an episode of Doctor Who a day since wow. June of 2021. I think it was. I was challenged by a Radio Free Scar listener to do this. I foolishly said wow. yes, uh, and it's um. <laughs> so I wait a minute. Yeah, a story a day from including classic an, an episode a day. Uh, oh, okay. So, that's, so for the first twenty six years of Doctor, it was fine. Twenty five minutes a day, that's fine. <laughs> now, once we get into the modern series, it's like. Oh, I'm going to find time to watch 71 minutes of Doctor Who for, you know. So uh, so I had watched um, these two relatively recently. I did watch them again for this as well. Um, and I think, you know, the Tenet years 
before I started podcasting a lot with Radio Free Scar, I find that those first three or four years of RTD, I watched a lot more. And mm. moderate, after, since then, I don't watch them as much. And it upsets me that I haven't committed them to, to memory as much as I have. But I feel like the uh, the season series three and series four are very familiar to me. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I watched it very. It was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a comforting warm blanket, this harrowing tale of, of humanity and war. Indeed. Nice. Yes. We 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 and appreciate uh, your professionalism for not going to just completely from memory on this and uh, give it, get it fresh in your head. Right. Well, I mean, I if you would, if say... I if I was on for Day of the Daleks, I might have just winged it because I've seen that a billion times. <laughs> all committed to memory. All locked safe yeah. up here. Yes. We should also say series three, uh, kind of uh, comforting to the randomizer as well. Uh, we've we've already been to uh, the the two stories that follow this blink. And the the master trilogy, as we've called it, Utopia, Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords. Um, Pete, have we, have we been anywhere else in season three? Is it just sort of throwing us everything at the end? Um, with Martha, I feel like yeah. no. I feel yeah, like no. we... We did do Runaway yeah. Bride. But yeah. It's... Let me check it out. Let me, I, now, now you got... Yeah, I have to check the codex. <laughs> It's one of the no, things. This is which, it. These are. This is. Yeah. This is the third one we've done of of proper season series three. Wow. Series three, season three. See, they we're we're going to get all screwed up on that pretty soon because we are. This, we've been this hearing is things. Randomizer yep. behavior to just sort of bunch up the ones it's giving us at mm-hmm. the end of the season. Like what? What's the deal? Yeah. They seem to be going backwards. Thanks, randomizer. Well. Before we get into it, folks, uh, I want to just let everyone know if you want to cut straight to our three-way commentary on human nature and the family of blood, please check the show notes. Go ahead and look in there. There's going to be a time code that you can go to if you just want to jump to that. Uh, If you're on YouTube, scroll down. It's right under the video. You can jump right to when that commentary starts. But you're not going to want to do that, guys, because we have we have plenty of things in coming up here uh, in the pull to open pulse loop. Of course. Fetch yep. We got our pull to open on the seeds of death. We got an all new emoji challenge and we got lots and lots more. But before we get to that, Chris, yes. where is the fun place on the internet? People can go deeper on pull. To you open. can find us going deep on many more fun places than, than ever before. We're on the actual world wide web, whatever that is at pull to open.net. Uh, we have a newsletter there as well. Subscribe, get our full written notes on every episode. And if you want to go even deeper than that, you be- can become a patron, a, a time lord of the show. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pull to open. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've got some special stuff coming up for the specials, not just there. Yep. If you missed it earlier, we're going to be we're going to be having some uh, hot takes on the 60th specials starting uh, November 25th. So watch for that. Uh, and we'll have him, you know, one per week, I guess, because that's that's how they're making it now, right? <laughs> At least for a little while. That's so right. that'll be good times. And while you're waiting for that to happen, you can just pop into the reviews section, whichever app you're in, especially if it's Apple Podcasts. That will be a great way to support the show. Leave a five-star review if you want, but definitely leave an emoji title uh, because that will then torture me every week. A the title of a Doctor Who story that you think I might not guess, uh, or indeed any of our guests might not guess, uh, in as your review uh, would would serve to to masses at once. 
uh, as it were. And if you want to serve three masters at once, then then just uh, share the podcast with a friend. Um, Go randomly into your address book. Find a random friend. Send him this show. So, Pete, is it is it time uh, to to torture our guest and myself? Well, it's getting about that time. I was just going to say we are here, and it is time for the emoji challenge. So, normally, I get to torture just one person on this, racking their brains about emojis. Well, right. rather, emojis that actually represent the title of a Doctor Who episode. Uh, but we didn't warn you about this, did we, Stephen? No. You're now no, trapped. That's right. That's fine. <laughs> I can do it. I'm trapped in the reflection of a mirror. Uh, every time you see someone <laughs> out of the back of your eye in a mirror, it's me trapped trying to guess what emoji mean uh, in regards to Dr. Who. Exactly. Channel. Yes. Trying to look onto your phone. Yeah. Remember the emoji keyboard. What do these symbols even mean? Right. So the emoji challenge, of course, I will say some emojis and our contestants. Say one them, oh Steven in Edmonton. I wish I wish I could show them to you. Yeah, we'll figure yeah. out that technology someday where I can just yes. put them it on the screen, if not at not just live on the podcast. It will appear yeah. live. But uh, print them out, hold live. them up to the camera, and we'll guess. <laughs> Best I can do is paste them in the chat. Okay, uh, but we can do that. I'll take. So that. here we I'll go. This that. one's, this one's not too bad, I think. Okay, think so that. you guys ready? Okay, just shout is it out if you know it. Is this? Are there buzzers? Fingers on buzzers here, or are we just gonna fingers on buzzers? And as we yeah. found out, you can actually, if you want, buzz in before I'm even done. Do that. Could do yep. that. Could do that. Yeah. Finger, finger yeah, on yeah. it. Please, okay. please do that. Please fall into that trap. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Two emojis. Two emojis. Oh boy. First emoji. Spiderweb. Okay. Second emoji. The world. Planet of spiders. Oh. That isn't it. The web planet. Web planet. It's the web planet. <laughs> web. Nice work. Planet. I mean. Chris, you have been embarrassed by our yeah, guest. Yeah. We have a oh, new yeah. champion for the Hemoji Challenge. <laughs> it's Stephen Chablansky from Radio Free Scarrow. Wow. He takes that title with him back to Edmonton <laughs> and his own podcast. I, I do want to point out, though, in, in the chat, dear listener, uh, the, the the emoji is about, like, you know, a nanometer uh, in size, <laughs> and it's on dark on dark. Oh so if you, if you, if I would be like, so thank you for for those of you listening i just did this um so thank you for the description pete because otherwise i wouldn't have got it at all my pleasure we're getting very professional at this the irony of the fact that that i was the one who essentially buzzed in before really thinking through that it could have been two titles Mm -hmm. i that that one's on me yeah, uh, I think I you were it. fooled Great last week when we had had the snake, and it was clearly a Mara thing. You had the web, and you went right for the animal. Yeah. You went for this planet of spiders, and not planet of spiders. Mm. That's a different thing. Maybe you'd reverse that. Um, right. Anyway, I want to thank Jack Hustwaite on Twitter for sending us that one. He's got a couple others in the can, and we'll do those in a future podcast. Uh, but folks, we have so much fun bringing this podcast to you, obviously. And one of the reasons we're able to make it fun is because of the service we used to record it, and that is Zencaster. When we started out podcasting, we were really a lot like the doctor, not quite sure what we were doing with the equipment we had. But ever since we switched to Zencaster, it's been a dream. 
It's a lot. It's actually a lot like having a magic toolkit in a pocket watch, shall we say? It's that convenient. All you do is create your recording room in the cloud, send the link to your guests, and Zencaster handles the rest. It records studio quality sound and video up to 4K. Plus, it has all the tools you need to host, create, and distribute your podcast all in one place. Whether you have your own podcast, and I know some of you do, maybe some of our guests do, or are thinking about starting one, we would strongly encourage you to check out Zencaster. So set your browser coordinates to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code IPUSH. That's I-P-U-S-H. And you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences that we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Remember, the site is Zencaster.com slash pricing and the code is IPUSH. Thanks, Pete. And also remember that if you're on Spotify, there are even more ways to interact with the show. You can just rate it on the app. And also, you can pull up the poll from the bottom of the screen. That's right. It's poll to open. And uh, you can decide right now, as you're listening to this, what you would rate Human Nature, Family, and Blood, uh, given our rating system, which we'll explain at the end. And we will read out those results on a future episode the polls remain open so it doesn't matter even if we've already read out the results you can still vote if you're in line stay in line and uh, we have some ratings now for seeds of death what have we got Ben? it's it's pretty st- <laughs> it's pretty much a little dalek the, 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 the people have spoken <laughs> it's a dalek it's it's, it's a good it's, episode of doctor who yeah it's it's 80 there people are like i'm into it I couldn't yeah. rate it. At the time, I was like, it's a fixed point in time. It was really kind of like a so bad it's good. I, it just, I just couldn't. I couldn't. It was just too confusing for me, I guess. And, and now, uh, but there's I, at least. I gave, it, I gave it a Dalek slash Lady Cassandra. A high yeah. Point. Yes, you uh, did. It was as in pretty but paper thin flot. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I guess we could say that most people agree with me. Um, yeah, Stephen, what, do you, what, what did you think of Seeds of Death? Your, your overall. I love Seeds of Death. Uh, I remember it very fondly um, back in the day when the uh, early 90s, when Mm. all we had was season six of Troughton and uh, not even Mm. all of that. And so we had to hold on to our Troughton stories dearly Mm. uh, before they all started returning to the archives. And so I loved the Seeds of Death. I love the music. I love Fushim's performance. Terry Scully's great in it. The Ice Warriors are superb. Uh, T-Bat is wonderful. And it even mentions Canada. Uh, so I think it's one of those rare <laughs> Doctor Who stories. That, you know, uh, yeah. they misspell Ottawa in the novel. It's O-T-T-O-W-A, is it? Yeah, I'm guessing. They do. Unless yeah. they re- they must rename it sometime this century. <laughs> they just say everyone's <laughs> going to spell it that anyway. So let's just change and it. And that's wrong because it's an A, not an O, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good to know. All right, so uh, also you can find us on youtube.com slash pull to open. That's a great place to leave the emoji title. Check out our toy maker plot summary there. It is absolutely winning the game. It's going crazy. Thousands of people are looking at it there. We've got a whole podcast on the Cecil Toy Maker that you can check out on YouTube. Don't forget to like, subscribe, smash that bell icon. Uh, look at our Easter eggs in the background. Look at whatever is going on in the background of Stephen, which we do not even know yeah. right now. Uh, <laughs> and and yeah so that's that's all on youtube and pete where else can the fine folks find us okay folks i'm talking to you right now i'm talking to you tiktok watcher the person on tiktok who 
has been with us almost since the beginning, checking out our videos on TikTok, I got some news for you. You guys can now listen to the podcast in the app. You don't even have to go to another app. You can literally just tap on one of our shorts that we do our little shorts of the, of you know, you've seen the shorts, they're little middle long videos that have stuff on them. Tap on the little link at the bottom of the video. You can actually listen to the podcast. You can do that. Wow. Wow. It's Go right to it. Right in TikTok. A TikTok is hella bigger on the inside. Are you uh, listening to the podcast, but you haven't followed us on TikTok? Guys, we're at pull to open on TikTok. Just do it. Just open up right now. Go to go to TikTok. Find us there. After the podcast. All right. Finish it. <laughs> yes. And on Instagram, Facebook threads, pull to open 63, blue sky, pull to open. Now, let us talk about the news of the week because, wow, the Daleks. Yeah. We just saying in our last podcast how interesting it is that nothing had been announced for the actual anniversary itself. And now here come color Daleks. Yeah, this has been an insane week for Doctor Who news. We're actually, this is probably coming at you a little week after or so when you first heard about it. You probably even heard about it on Radio Free Scarrow last week <laughs> where they talked about all the news, including the tales from the TARDIS and everything else that's happened. But I mean, the big headline is that the original serial, the Daleks, is getting colorized, but also getting cut down to 75 minutes, which is like cutting out like, I don't know, an hour at least? I mean, it's a ton of stuff. I missed that part. It's 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 abridged. It's abridged. Yeah, which to me is is kind of the headline. Color great, but I'm like, yes, get get a bite-sized version of these old serials where it's just like, yeah, it's actually like a movie length. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm very intrigued. It's uh it's edited by Benjamin Cook. Uh, who's right, chopped it down. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. colorized by uh, Rich Tipple and Kieran Hyman, amongst others. Um, and I imagine, you know, colorizing 75 minutes is probably a lot easier than colorizing 725-minute episodes of it. So, like, you know, <laughs> yes. that's one thing. It's, especially the last, like, two to three episodes. Like, it's great up to episode four. And then, oh, we have to go back into the city. And it takes a long <laughs> time right. for them to get through those caves, finally into the city, halfway through the uh, uh, end of episode seven. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking just forward to it. Let us not go back to the city. It is a silly place. Yeah. Um, and then you cut out uh, an hour right there. You know, for, exactly. for me, uh, this this will either be a, a travesty or, or genius, depending on whether they keep the line about fresh organic vegetables. Uh, <laughs> where where the, the Dalek offers fresh organic vegetables to prisoners. Because, you know, the, the, the Daleks were, were hip and grooving into nutrition in those days, man. Oh, what would be amazing is if they if they put the beginning of the Target story, <laughs> even though that, that was never made. Like as well, like they wrote the Target one, like it was the first episode. Right? Well, Which listen, was, listen. Uh, iPlayer can't for right now show the first Doctor Who story, oh, so you, they might have to shoot a special <laughs> intro, perhaps with uh, Jamie Glover who played uh, William Russell in Adventure in Space and Time. Right. Uh, he could be like writing down his things. Oh, I met the Doctor on Barnes Common or something like that because that's how the novelization started in 1965. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah, I figured I. W- <laughs> don't, don't be surprised if that's actually what happens on November 23rd when we see that. It'll be a special little animated intro, which will have the Barnes Cobbin uh, oh, introduction to it. That would be hilarious. Right. Yeah. Well, guys, we could go down this rabbit hole for the rest <laughs> of the podcast, but at some point, we do need to start talking about human nature and the family yeah. of blood, and that time is now. 
I was and hoping as, we could postpone it for a little bit, maybe. Yeah, uh, fortunately, kind of we cannot. Time yeah. marches on. And uh, as listeners know, at the beginning of every commentary, one of us summarizes this plot of the story in record time. And this week, that is Christopher Taylor. And, Are you and, ready, uh, sir? Uh, well, can I just insert a humble brag as to why I think this is going to be difficult for me this week? Uh, Do it. Is that uh, I also read the novel. Uh, for for the oh, show. Oh, you have so many rabbit holes <laughs> to go down to. Oh man! It's so different. So I've read that more recently than I've watched the show. So if I suddenly oh, okay. start talking about Bernie Summerfield, then you know that I've 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 skipped the tracks and I'm in an alternate timeline. Well, uh, and that's we, when you we, have to send an instruction team. To we me. allocate one minute for every new who episode and five minutes for every novelization so that gets hey. you 17 no Fantastic. sorry we're just doing the tv stuff you get one minute per episode so you have a full two minutes to summarize this story are you ready uh as i ever i'm gonna use the pocket watch and, and oh you're gonna have your own timer what comes back from it because of course we close all our tabs we don't we fly blind when we do this so i'm all right well calling on the spirit of john smith damn thing never worked anyway here it comes the official pull to open summary of human nature and the family of blood in three two one go so the Doctor and Martha have been pursued in, into the TARDIS by someone. We don't see what, but the Doctor says they're going to pursue them uh, forever and ever. Uh, but apparently they only last for a few months. Uh, so uh, he uh, smash cut to 1913, and Martha wakes up the Doctor. She's his maid. He's a, he's a teacher now in a, in a boys' school. And uh, this apparently is something to do with what they did to, to get away from this whatever it was. Um, but it's 1913, and, and attitudes are different, and, and people are being racist to Martha, and, and and 30 the doctor seconds. is uh, apparently just thinks of himself as human, doesn't has has no idea, has a pocket watch and the mantelpiece. Um, but it, like other than that, he's totally human and he leads like officer training uh, with machine guns for all the boys and uh, falls starts to fall in love with this woman, Joan Redfern, uh, who's who's matron. Uh, uh, yeah, she's matron. Sorry, she's something else in the book. Uh, and uh, and and then, uh, the, but there's this one boy who who uh, thinks uh, stuff is uh, weird and different. He keeps keeps getting beard up, beaten up. Uh, his name is Tim, and he steals the doctor's doctor's pocket watch and pursuing them. It's the family of blood. They they land on Earth. They take over locals, and they have an army of scarecrows. And they actually want the Time Lord for for his for his uh, genes, and that's why he's had to hide as a, as a human. And uh, but the uh, but but uh, Tim encounters them. They 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 suck up a local schoolboy. They invade the school. Um, uh, one of one of them is a little girl with a balloon, and that that gets the, uh, the headmaster shot. And um, oh god! And and then uh, there's explosions everywhere, and they they march into the school. And eventually, the doctor is forced to. Uh, open the pocket watch and become the doctor again, even though he really doesn't want to. Uh, and then that's how he defeats the family of blood from inside of their visible spaceship. Um, and then he has to go back and explain to Joan that he's not actually a human. He is the doctor and he, he isn't in love with her anymore. And, and he's got to go and, and, uh, and, time. and then they see Tim at a remembrance Sunday thing uh, many years later. And the doctor has a poppy in his coat. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. 
We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with the poppy, it's two minutes ten. <laughs> Little over. Oh my god! No, not bad. Not bad. I get a bit of a rabbit. How would you rate there. it, Stephen? Uh, Did you miss anything? Oh, well, uh, I'm well. I mean, the uh, there was uh, it was overstuffed with uh, detail at the beginning, and then ra- uh, really mm. rushed towards the end. So uh, that's but, like no. every TLDW almost. <laughs> just it. like I've got plenty of time. Let's describe the scene. How about? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's lovely and paintings and. Picture, if you will, an invisible spaceship. Yeah, in the middle of the field. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely missed that. I, I wanted to talk about Baines, the schoolboy, because I think mm-hmm. really just a standout performance uh, in that. So you know, I really don't want to take anything away from the uh, characters, the actors I didn't mention. Um, well, I think yeah. you've got the essence of it, which is, of yeah. course, the love story and the human nature <laughs> of. Tennant and his performance as John Smith, which is sort of the centerpiece of this whole thing. And that, that really works. So you got all of that. Um, I think that if there was anything that was left out that I think we should discuss, but this is probably something we'll discuss later. It's what he does to the family at the end. And we'll get yes. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. It's interesting that we've sort of nibbled around the edges of, of human nature recently because we had our uh, our cold opens special. So we watched the cold open recently and talked about that. Uh, and and what a pretty good job it does of of, of setting us up in a, in a record space of time. But we also had our episode on uh, ten times the Doctor was actually cruel or cowardly, and. What he does, the, the family of blood in this, is is arguably one of the cruelest and most, well, I, I don't think it's cowardly, but it's certainly a, a Time Lord Victorious kind of moment. We can uh, do that. Do you want us to, should we yeah. start at the end? Should we just get yeah. it out of the way? Yeah. So we don't. Uh, yeah. Stephen, what, what are your thoughts on, on this, on those punishments? I like that it's dark. Um uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> probably a few times throughout history. The doctor's probably warranted in, in meeting out to these, because, uh, you know, they're, they are seeking immortality, you know, yes. they're basically, mm-hmm. he's basically pulling a game of wrestle on, on them and, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. seeking them and putting them away. Um, yeah. and I, I, there's a certain, um, sapphire and steel nature to some of them about, you know, the, the little girl Ooh. being stuck in the reflection of a mirror, yes, uh, you know, every time that. you you know, it's a, there's an episode of uh, Sapphire and Steel that's kind of based around that. Um, I always thought, this is just m- me thinking of it. Um, I've never told Paul Cornell this, I don't think, or he's never bothered to listen to me. Uh, that the the scarecrow that um, John Smith, when he and Joan are walking through and like he's adjusting the scarecrow, that scarecrow's not quite right. Uh, mm. In my mind, that scarecrow is actually um, son of son mine. Of mine. Hey, uh, mm. Baines is a person in you know in the past because he's stuck in time essentially as a scarecrow, mm. and I like to think that he's already there. He's been transported back in time already because he's stuck in time, and he's actually adjusting him a little. Does he know that he's actually going to put him there uh, later on that. in that story? I love that, now. especially uh, because when when uh, we uh, gave our challenges, the randomized that brought us here. Uh, if you remember, Pete, I was asking for something that was timey wimey. Mm. Um, in in the same way that Day of the Daleks was, um, mm-hmm. obviously every Doctor Who is a little bit timey wimey, um, but this this not so much. But except that that's a timey wimey outcome, 
uh, mm. that, that's maybe head canon or maybe buried in there. Um, mm. Also, the novelization a bit more timely. Why me? They've they've got a the the barrier that protects the ship and indeed you know keep keeps the army out. It keeps the army you know coming in, uh, investigating what the hell's going on here. Uh, is is this very bizarre timey wimey thing? Um, so we should probably go back a little bit because you've you've introduced Paul Cornell and we should probably just bring folks up to speed who are not familiar with the background of how this happened. So hmm. the new adventures. <laughs> <laughs> you guys read the new adventures when they uh, when they came I out. I did. Well, or? it's not all of them. Actually, very few. I I bought Time Worm Genesis when it came out and never really quite got through it. But I did end up getting through other books. Uh, Iceberg, I think, was the first mm-hmm. one I really did. I mean, I've read about a half dozen of them, maybe a few more. So this was renowned as one of the best, and and as I may have mentioned, uh, Russell T Davies. Uh, no, in a very timely, wimey way, I did not mention that in this episode, but I may do in the future. Um, he he thought of this as one of the best books he'd ever read uh, when when he brought uh, Paul Gunnell on board to do Father's Day, and then uh, commissioned a version of Human Nature for uh, for season three. Um, yeah. And and this was the result, and it went through. Many, many rewritings. Uh, probably RTD's big, biggest introduction was the Scarecrows, which apparently took Paul Cornell a uh, a day to agree with. Uh, <laughs> if you watch the Doctor, the uh, if you watch the uh, the Doctor Who Confidential that goes with this, uh, RTD's kind of kind of you know gently slamming Paul a little bit. And he's like, any any idea I wanted, I just sort of left it with him for a day, and then like he would come back to me and be like, yeah, here's how I can do that. Um, even if he disagreed with it. So how do we like the scarecrows all over it? I like the scarecrows too. I don't know. I feel like it's a bit of a B minus for me as a monster. I mean, they look creepy and I just think in the story, it's not super clever. I mean, they're made of straw. So it seems like, you know, they rip the arm off one and sort of shows that they are not human and, Mm -hmm. but seemingly impervious to damage. And then they're totally cut up by the, machine guns which is like so which is it or can can they be hurt or can't they and they sort of conveniently are there and in numerous numbers when the script needs it and then they sort of disappear when well they they don't get completely annihilated by the machine guns they 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 get knocked down but they do get back up again <laughs> quite a phrase. Yeah. Had a few it's whiskey a drinks and a few dot vodka yeah. drinks. And- exactly. I, I think it, it it, right yeah, down. and that that part is. Uh, I think it's the crucial moment of the whole two part story. I think is you know the time when all the boys, these young boys yeah. who have been training for war, just mm. imaginary war. You know, a hypothetical war, essentially that they don't know <laughs> that World War One is on the horizon, but they mm. train them. And they, you think they're all like well versed in machine gunnery and everything, and then when it com- comes time to actually shoot something. Uh, a lot of them do it, but they they are just filled with fear and remorse and sadness. They're crying children, firing guns. And and if it was into like, um, you know, all powerful beings and they weren't falling down, that that scene would not have the impact. But the yeah. fact that they're shooting them and to their mind, killing them, right. you know, there's a whole field of these dead things they haven't seen the scarecrow men yet they're just shooting at whatever's coming through the door and the doctor is not he's watching the reactions of these children 
firing at this thing and he never fires a shot. And that's the sort of the moment when John Smith realized that, you know, I'm someone who abhors war. This is what, who I am underneath. It's a crucial moment of the scene. I think of the whole episode. I think. Oh, I totally agree. I I, I feel like the outcome is a little confused though. I I a hundred percent agree with everything you said. It's a beautiful scene. It's really, if the heart of the episode is the John Smith Jones stuff, this is, close second it's the second it's the other it's got two hearts right it's a time Mm -hmm. lord episode so this is the second heart and but the thing is it's like they cut down these things they but then what they're tested on is the girl the little girl comes in Mm -hmm. and it seems like are we actually going to ask these boys to kill a little girl and they don't but then that gives the family the upper hand and then they're ready to kill everybody so wait a minute. That's where I'm like, is the message here that was wrong? Like we they were supposed to like blow the brains out of the little girl? Like well, you know, the like they do. In the book they do. I will mention the book is a lot more gruesome in many ways. <laughs> there, there are wow. heads blown off, there are you know, there's blood splattering everywhere. The doctor loses a finger. Um Wow. It's, it's brutal. And one of the things that happens is yes, they do gun down the little girl. At that point, uh, I mean, it's sort of established before that that she's not really human, mm-hmm. and she can't. Yeah. She, like her balloon—that's a vestige from the book as well. The balloon was this powerful thing that could zip around; she could control it, and I believe it had poison gas inside it or something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so she's clearly established as a threat. But yeah, the boys do have to gun her down. And by the way, before we get too far away from it, I wanted to say we were talking about the the ending and whether that was justified, what the doctor did, and where he goes all wrestle on. Uh, Stephen and I think that that's a, it's it, it feels a bit classic Who-ish. It also felt to me a little bit Mordred Undead, you know. All yeah, the, yeah. I was just thinking that too. On these other creatures that were seeking eternal life, right? Uh, so yeah, it is kind of the Doctor taking. Well, as much as I I'm tempted to judge him for being cruel, there I do feel like I like the storyline or the character storyline for Tennant and the Doctor. Like you mm. just brought up Mordred Undead, I thought of the same thing. The idea that the Time Lords are torturing essentially these people who can't regenerate just Mm. to send a message don't mess with us and you can't uh have our tech you know whatever uh but with with tenant it's part of sort of this time lord victorious thing you know Mm. if if you sort of look at waters of mars that sort of makes a little more sense in the context of this arc right that he's 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 just this all-powerful time lord feels the responsibility of it and maybe it's just something inherent to that that you just kind of like okay well, you pushed me this far, and now you've you're earning the wrath of the Time Lords, and this is how it goes. So when when that first aired, I I was sure that must have been from the book. It just seemed so weirdly. You're right. In retrospect, looking back from War to the Mars, like you can get the, here's a Time Lord victorious moment. Like he's on his he's the only one, so he has to meet out the punishment of the Time Lords as well. Like you get it. But like at the time, it seemed so weird. I was like, wow, was that it? I just always assumed that was in the novelization, and it's not mm-hmm. weird enough. They're, they're so what happens? Weird. He just lets them die. Is that what happens? Uh, it's like a they, Blade Runner moment. They well, one of them is captured. Uh, I think the other ones gets away. By the way, first of all, in in the book, he's 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 not doing this out of necessity. He's doing this because Bernice Summerfield, his companion in the books, has just lost her boyfriend, and he wants to understand what it's like. So he's doing it voluntarily, and the family that is pursuing him were the ones who did the human modification on him. 
Mm. Uh, so they're, they're realizing that, oh, hey, wait a minute, we just did a modification on a Time Lord. Uh, like, let's let's pursue him, right? So that's... Mm. But there's this whole kind of dark thing that maybe the show needs as well, where you see the result of what would happen if if they succeed. If the evil plot succeeds, if you will, to get to one of my four <laughs> questions um, a little bit early. And you see them take it because you realize that they, each one of them can create six uh, other people before they die. And each of those six people, if they're Time Lords, can then regenerate 12 times and create six people in each of those regenerations. So they create this whole army and the army ends up slaughtering Romana um, in, wow. in this in this vision of the future like it gets really dark so it's super weird that that the that the show in the show rtd went darker for the ending where he'd been sort of pulling his punches all the way throughout and you gotta wonder if that was that was deliberate and he was like oh you think this is a kind of Mm -hmm. sanitized tv version of human nature well take this Hmm. and it's it's interesting too about how uh you know, his reaction after he does all that is he goes in and just, you know, kind of acts like, Hey, nothing happened there, Joan. Why don't you come traveling with me? We'll have fun. We try, you know, he thinks that he can just do that and then just be happy, go lucky doctor. And we can all go off and have adventures together. And oh, there's that killer moment where he goes, if you had never decided to, to come here today, would anyone have died? Yes. And just shuts him down. Got just the icy look on her face as she looks at him and he realizes, Ooh, I'll just go now. Yes. You know, and another was, killer mm, moment in that yeah. same scene where where he shuts her down romantically, mm-hmm. where he's like, "Would would you change?" She she wants him to change back. Yeah, and like with without a shred of sympathy or doubt for a second, he's like, nope, mm-hmm. nope. Sorry, yeah. that guy's dead. Mm-hmm. He's very alien in that scene, mm-hmm. and it's it's. It's a, it's a little weird, um, but given how he's been treating Martha the whole season, it's not, I think there's obviously some echoes of that going on here. Like he still feels a connection to Joan. Um, he doesn't really understand the journey she's on, but I like the bold choice there because it sort of makes us not really like him all, mm-hmm. as much. You know, we already didn't like him. Well, like, we already kind of like weirded out by the whole torturing the family thing. And, you know, this is definitely one of those episodes that the, the, the perform and really huge credit to Tennant in this. Oh, I mean, like he, boy. he is so oh, good yeah. as a Smith and the doctor and just finding the, the differences there in, in the script and like the, this, this final scene I see sort of as a capstone to the whole thing. Cause yes, we like the doctor. Yes. He's our hero, but he's not human and mm-hmm. he can be very alien, you know, and certainly that can be funny and here it can be very sort of dramatic and uh, sort of a reminder of uh, what he, 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 he protects, but can never really be. It, it is a bit of a whiplash to go then at the end from that kind of time Lord victorious moment, that kind of cruel and cowardly moment to, Oh, the doctor's gone forward to see uh, Tim at the other end of his life. And, and oh look, he's wearing a poppy, so he must be a nice guy. Like it, it just mm. it feels a bit mm. like they're trying to sanitize him at the end. Yeah, I think that's sort of the other heart, sort of coming mm. back around. They're both they're trying to sort of do the dual themes with the war and the boys, and then mm. the the more personal story with Tennant and uh, the Doctor and and how he treats Joan that, that you know, the, that whole storyline. Um, 
did you need it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I honestly forgot about that. <laughs> that that final scene. I uh, did remember the stuff you said to Joan. That really stays with you as a Doctor yeah. Who fan. I think yeah. I would think that maybe casual fans might remember them a little more equally. But I, I had completely forgotten the poppy scene when I saw. I was like, oh yeah, there's this yeah. thing too. So I, I wanted to ask you guys a couple of things, given that you you both know classic Who better better than I do. I would guess. Um, uh, John Smith. Um, when, when does the doctor first use the pseudonym John Smith? Is it, is it Troughton? It is Troughton. Mm. Yeah. Jamie, uh, Jamie spots John Smith on the name of some medical equipment on board the wheel in the wheel in space. Mm. And the doctor's passed out because Patrick Troughton had a holiday in episode two and he wakes up <laughs> in the hospital and, uh, and says, um, uh, who are you? Oh, it's, uh, his name is. Ah, John Smith, because he's Jamie sees the the name wow. of the thing on there, and that's where the whole thing springs up. And then they use it again, and that's I mean, you use it once, yeah. fine. But then when they start using it again, I th- I'm trying to remember when when the second time was. It's certainly at the end of Spearhead from Space. You know, the Brigadier goes to the Doctor. Oh, I, I just realized I don't even know your name, Smith, the Doctor John Smith, and that was like right. that sort of cements it in in the form of moving picture who, because we don't actually see the. Um, the John Smith uh, mentioned in episode two of the wheel in space. Cause it doesn't exist. Interesting. Yeah. I've never seen the wheel in space. We, actually. Have we ever established that that whoever's uh, pack that was, you know, the original Dr. John Smith, is it an Aurora Boris kind of thing where that's actually the doctor himself kind of in the future? <laughs> he planted that in the future. <laughs> he invents this medical equipment perhaps at his time and in, uh, in unit and it gets, transported to uh to, to the space wheel in the fantastic yeah. space year of 2000 which is probably when that, <laughs> that episode takes place if that scene well, isn't in big finish somewhere i'd be, I'd be mm-hmm. very surprised well i definitely know where i'm going to place the clara splinter in that episode so when we get there <laughs> right um but yeah, speaking of done. books that uh are uh, very crucial to the plot the journal of impossible things in here i've got to yes. first of all credit the, just such a great idea and such a great prop. Um, mm. You know, like all those drawings, I, I'm sorry, I wrote down the, the artist's name. I just want to make sure they're properly credited. Kate, Kellyanne Walker did yeah. the illustrations mm. for the prop journal, the impossible. And they are perfect because mm-hmm. they are, they, they look like drawings. Uh, they look, you know, like just doodles that someone's done, but they are so good. And, the feeling that I got, and I'd, I'd be curious how you guys felt, especially you, Stephen, upon the very first time you saw it and you saw Paul McGann's face, mm-hmm. like the very first real acknowledgement in the series that that doctor, that that TV movie was canon. Yeah. It was just like, oh, like I was just like, I remember the first time, oh my God, they're, they're not ignoring it. It's, it's part of, it's, it's instantly yeah. canon. He's there. He's the doctor. Yeah. It was the first time any any of the classic doctors had yeah. any visual representation in modern who. Right. It's it's so fat like it's so fascinating that that we fans were so insecure that there were just you know they might be erasing everything that came before because you know when the show came back in 2005 they never mentioned Gallifrey they never mentioned Davros mm-hmm. they, they they were very careful about doling out too much uh background information for new viewers who had never seen the original show and that was a perfect approach and then you would sort of very gradually get it in Gallifrey gets in what Runaway Bride I think it's the first time yes uh we hear that 
Um, and well, so school reunion is a big turning point. Though. It is a so big turning I, point. I feel yeah. like that that does like a lot of confirmation that this yeah. that was a continuation. But it still left left a big question mark over the 1996 yeah. movie because yeah. there was you know Specific was it real? Did it happen? The, Didn't it? The and there he is. Thing, right. Yeah. That that left a lot of uh, question marks above uh, people's heads over, and on their collars. <laughs> and on the comments about the canonicity of that, yeah. uh, the the question mark umbrella, by the way, plays a big role in the novel. It's a bit weird. It's yeah. um, <laughs> kind of what helps the doctor awaken to himself. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Sort of casting your mind back to to that time, isn't it? Two thousand and seven. I mean, I remember I was reading. Was it Outpost Gallifrey? They mm-hmm. had all, all of the reviews and it just, it was an exercise in watching classic who fans like tear down an episode that you were like, Oh, I thought that was okay. Or, no, at first you were like, no, they're right about that. They're right. about well, I thought that was on one was okay. And surely you can't hate this one, but they would right. just tear it down, tear it down. Tear, and with this one, the Ampost Gallifrey fans, like they really leaned into like, this is nowhere near as good as the book. What is even happening? But what was interesting was that they, I, I feel like Empress Godfrey went offline like the next for, before Blink because I remember being like, "Okay, how can you how can you say anything about Blink?" And then like the site crashed. I went up, you know, got bored, or didn't even right. know what happened to it. But I remember that, that was that was very much the feeling around this season, right? That human nature was the big one. It was one everyone was looking forward to, mm-hmm. and like it was it mattered so much for how classic Who fans um, viewed the show. And now it almost feels like it's, you know, when we look at the end of that season, obviously we see Blink, uh, you know, the, the Master Trilogy kind of just, you know, it, it's amazing. and of course it is set up by this in right. a lot of ways. But like this is, human nature, I don't, I don't want to say it's forgotten, but it's it certainly doesn't loom as large as it did when it, when it screened, does it? Hmm. It, it, is, it is kind of a little bit ignored in a way, isn't it? You're right, because Blink certainly got the big... Yeah. Plot it as it yeah. should. It's very good. Um, I mean, they did do a at the, at the end of a very good, like squeezed in between some very good, yeah, stuff yeah. Uh, they, I mean, they did choose this one as like during the pandemic uh, lockdown in 2020. Yeah. They did this was one of the the watch alongs that they they yeah. they had. Paul Cornell was was with Twitter was still a thing. Uh, was tweeting along with it and and, and yeah. everything there. So he, I, th- I think there were some stories as yeah. well that, that yeah. sort of talked about the uh, that there were post calls. You know, it talked about the uh, uh, the uh, the the family of blood, like what happened next and how the, mm-hmm. the girl got out of the mirror and all of that. So right, uh, yeah, the chance to clean it up. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely top twenty, right? In the in the Doctor Who mm-hmm. polls, but it's also slid down a little bit. You know, and I don't think that's necessarily saying anything bad about human nature. I think that's saying a lot of good things about the rest of New Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of faded into the background, but but yeah, not not an outcome we ever would have expected. No, I think I would place it up there as the mm. top of the whole series. Um, that series three, that this and blink, I think, mm. um, cause you know, wow. not, not to go far off topic, but I was, I really didn't, I liked utopia, but I thought the three parter mm. got worse and worse as it went along. Uh, yeah. and, and so I feel like this and blink were like, Oh wow. What a, you know, what a triple shot of amazing doctor who we had there. So, so can I just say on a, on a personal note why uh, the the reveal of Utopia was so satisfying for me? The, the fact that the master is mm-hmm. using a pocket watch, it's because uh, of the hymn that they use here in Human Nature. He he who would valiant be, mm-hmm. also known as to be a pilgrim, and it's, it's the song that the boys are singing at the start. It also plays over the machine gun bits. Yeah, 
I used to sing that in school because I went wow. to a, a Church of England really? school, which, uh, yeah, which is not, it's not the big deal that it would be in the US. Like it's, you know, my atheist father was perfectly happy sending me to a Church of England school because it's Church of England. Like they're not, right. they, they, they're barely even Unitarians, you know, then mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, you mouth a few hymns and then go have <laughs> cake with a vicar, you know, it's the right. idea of a cake or death thing. Um, but also like I would, I would hate singing hymns and the only hymn I enjoyed singing was this one. Because the opening lines are, he who would valiant be against all disaster, let him in constancy follow the master. And as a young Doctor Ah, Who fan, I was like, like, they're following the master. Oh my goodness. Like head cannon erupting Mm -hmm. from just that one hymn, you know, because you latch onto anything in that boring environment. But here it is, arguably at the beginning of human nature, a spoiler. Because here is he who would valiant mm-hmm. uh, be against all disaster, and he's following the master in terms of trapping himself in a pocket watch. The nice! Wow. So, yeah, bit of a convoluted spoiler, <laughs> right? Spoiler nonetheless. <laughs> and, and if, I, and if you are curious to yeah, go into like message boards around the time, if yeah. there was like one lone fan, guys, I think the master's <laughs> yeah. coming in in this season. It's just you know, it's right there. Well, perhaps they thought, you know what, guys, they're thinking about. Oh, I don't know. 20 years time almost 15 years time <laughs> they're going to use a pocket watch again uh because of course when jody uh um Indeed. joe martin's doctor in fugitive of the Dadoon uses mm-hmm. you know smashes the glass and then later on in the towards the end of flux the doctor drops another pocket watch it's amazing the legacy of this story now when you think about it about how the pocket watch has become yeah. like the the de facto thing for hidden time Lord consciousness in an object. It was in utopia. It was in, right. uh, in flux to the point where you kind of want it to be a mislead next. Like it's just, yeah, here's right. the watch. And it's like, not just a watch. No, yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. RTD, if you're listening, like how, just have shooty pick up a pocket watch and be like, exactly. Yeah. And have, <laughs> have it be the digital one that Sylvester McCoy had in silver nemesis. And it's just, a, okay. It's just a, just my digital pocket watch that I had. You know? I love it. So, so it's, it's especially yeah. weird, and and you know this t- classic Doctor Who canon on the back of a napkin stuff. The fact that it wasn't a pocket watch mm-hmm. in the book or in the show up until very late in the day, it was going to be a cricket ball. Uh, but also, but first of all, right. you've got the, the Doctor throwing the cricket ball in that scene where he shows the his piano. Hero. Yeah, very yeah. To save the baby carriage from the piano, and it's very very four to doomsday moment, right? If I remember my Davis and Turner. <laughs> well done. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but but they were like, yeah, it can't. Uh, finally, RTD realized now you can't have it be a cricket ball that, that the Doctor's personality is embedded in, even though it's so it's it's called the pod in the book, and it looks like mm. a cricket ball, and it gets confused for a cricket ball uh, with mm. hilarious consequences. Um, but it needs to be something that you can open, right? It needs yeah. you need to have to take the decision to stop being John Smith mm-hmm. uh, as the Doctor. You need to open it, so it needed that mechanism. And that's when they thought, of course, pocket watch, yeah. and it was just—it's one of those things so obvious in retrospect. But they were just making it up as, it, yeah. as they went along. So let's talk a little bit about Martha in this story mm. and how she sort of copes with things and what sort of good scenes and not so good scenes she gets. So first I've just, uh, I, th- I think this is a good depiction or actually a good way to handle sort of contemporary racism, yes. uh, in, in an adventure without making it the focus. I thought, I thought it was very sort of well done by having, you know, the, there's the comment from one of the kids at the beginning, 
Uh, and then there's just sort of the overall attitude toward her yeah. that that is, you know, obviously distasteful, but it never gets so ugly that it becomes the focus, even though they could have easily done that. Um, so I thought it, it was a very smart way to do it in this episode. Yeah, yes. I I mean, it, you establish it. Oh, I see. So it's only bad people that are racist. You know, it, like you say, Hutchinson uh-huh. is saying, you know, right. how, how do you get the floor clean, you know, with hands like those and everything? And Martha just sort of grins and bears like the poor woman just probably had to do a lot of her life, especially in 1913. But mm. what makes it powerful then is when Martha thinks that she's seen like a spaceship or something when they're outside. And then John Smith is just so condescending. Oh, yes. These are what are called stories. And that's a meteorite. And then later on, when uh, Joan, you know, yeah. who's been very upstanding up until then, and she says, it's just a matter of fact, oh, something, somebody of your station or your color wouldn't be, uh, you know, allowed to yeah. be a doctor. It's like just matter of factly. And it's, it's, that was just the pervading yeah. attitude at the it time. It was in the air. It was in yeah. the air. But I love that she gets a moment. Uh, her moment about pointing at the bones of the hand, I think, is mm. perfect. Because mm. she names all of them. And the retort, like, you read that in a book, like, her comeback is perfect. Because it's like, yeah, to study for my exams. Like, there's literally no other reason anyone would know that. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, 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 it's just, yeah, like, no, you're wrong. And it's mm-hmm. so obvious. Uh, yeah. She gets to have that little triumphant bit of dialogue, which was nice. It's it's definitely interesting looking at it back now. Now in a time where I think more of us are aware of systemic racism, uh, mm-hmm. and this is this is exactly what human nature, family of blood, is showing. And it is interesting that the one character who gets to be not racist is that the maid who is down on her knees next to uh, mm-hmm. next to Martha Jenny, uh, who says something like, "Oh, I, I wouldn't have expected someone like you to have been here." And Martha looks at like preparing for a racist comment. Yeah. And Jenny says, you know, from London. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, it's so nice. It's, it's like a, you know, you're sort of pre-prepared for like, okay, every, every racist comment in this is going to be counteracted in some way. Yeah. Uh, but it's also nice that they gave it to the one person you wouldn't necessarily expect it to have that attitude. Mm-hmm. So Martha also gets to obviously run around, get the plot uh going she's spent seems like half of the, the episode the second episode looking for the pocket watch uh by ransacking uh big parts of the school mm-hmm. and um but uh she she also has to at some one point essentially confess her love for the doctor yeah uh, i don't know if she has to but she does mm-hmm. and arguably this whole thing is a little bit of shining a light on that sort of relationship and uh, that she sort of has obviously feelings for the doctor. He doesn't, uh, but he's still fond of her. And he has a whole video where he records 23 things for her yep. to remember. Uh, and have all this stuff. Seen, I, have you guys seen the, the deleted scene where they just show yeah. everything that tenant was talking about? It's, it's referenced in Peter Capaldi's final speech in, right. uh, in twice upon a time, never eat pears. Uh, cause that's what David Tennant says in this, uh, the deleted yes. thing there. Yeah. And it's, it's from the book. Like tell us ah. that much of a nerd that he's <laughs> right. just even when he's extemporizing, he's doing the instructions that are written right. in the book. It's it's if you can imagine that in the voice of Sylvester McCoy, like he's uh-huh. saying, "Oh, don't, don't let me eat pears, I, yeah. dreadful things. I don't want to be waiting up, waking up with those in my, you know." And he leaves this actually on a written list of instructions. 
mm. uh, for Bernie Sunfield, which she keeps pulling out throughout the story. And actually, hilariously, at the end, you see when she shows it to him, which she's trying to convince John Smith to be the doctor again, scribbled on the bottom in a different hand is mm. don't fall in love. Because <laughs> 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 she, like Martha, is like, you didn't give me any instructions for this. Right. Uh, and he's like, hmm, did I really write that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Your, your handwriting changed. It was really weird. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it, th- yeah. there is a line from the book of human nature talking about pears to all the way through to Capaldi saying never eat pears. And it runs through David Tennant. And it's it's just, it's magical that this happens. I love it when this happens in Doctor mm-hmm. Who. What do you guys How's, think about why does that? Why does that carry over from doctor to doctor that he just hates? Right? <laughs> Fish fingers and custard, just 11, but yeah. the pear thing, it's everybody. Once again, I, th- I think Shushi should eat a pear at some point. <laughs> First thing he I does, chop it up. I pear. always feel like it's, it's, I love pears. I always feel it's very unfair to pears. Yeah. Um, but what do you guys think about the fact that a thing that kept recurring to me when, when I was uh, watching it this time was there is very little that could not have been done in Classic Who. Like, if this had been a Classic Who story, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have had to have changed much. And in fact, it's kind of why I like the Scarecrows, because they feel classic who villainish to me yeah uh, right. easily something you could have done in the classic era there's an inside uh, uh invisible spaceship uh yeah. mm-hmm. i remember tom baker always saying you know douglas adams thought he had a great idea you know but to build an invisible spaceship because it's the cheapest <laughs> thing you could possibly build as they did in shada which they would have done if they finished it um it finally comes to fruition here this invisible spaceship makes perfect sense yeah you could have done this yeah, the I mean, one you know, the one thing I would miss is are those fisheye lens b- shots of Baines, yeah. mm-hmm. which I thought are great. They shoot him at weird angles. They just because he's got a weird face already, that actor, and it's like oh he's, he's, it, it, it makes really him just annoying. look crazy alien with that nose sniffing and the. Yeah. the that's the one Bane. thing I would miss in Classico. That's true, Bane. but otherwise you're dead on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. even so even Bane. the yeah even the effect. Right. I love how simplistic the effect is when they're sort of like you know, talking to each other across distances or like accessing like knowledge from baseless. It's just this green light. They just sort of step up mm. and there's a green light. Yeah. And there's even a moment yeah. when, uh, when sister of mine or mother of mine rather is, is standing there and just like all of a sudden you just see there's a green light going up there. And I think yes. it's so creepy. And like, if they were to make that today, it would probably seem some weird CGs thing or something, but no, it's a green light bulb just shining up on their face and it's perfect. It's perfect. I love it. And it really makes you think actually the classic who shouldn't have had much of a makeup budget, like all of the masks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just spend all that money on just pay the scriptwriter. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you could you could have had you could have had human nature right. in in the classic hope. Like it could have. There's nothing stopping a story this good. Well, mm-hmm. the question of whether or not human nature could be a classic who episode has been answered. But there are some other questions we must answer, and those are, of course, the four questions to Doomsday. First question: Why did the randomizer take us here? What do you think, Chris? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've we've mentioned the the uh, Armistice Day, Veterans Day connection. The fact that it's going out there, and like the randomizer is now in charge of your seasonal programming. <laughs> uh, <which is> so <laughs> the dance is also. I don't think we got to mention this. The dance. Uh, That's the, right. The, the Doctor takes, or that John Smith takes Joan to. We mm-hmm. see on the flyer that it's November the eleventh, nineteen thirteen, which. 
If you're listening to this on November 11th, 2023 is 110 years ago. <laughs> to the day. Yep. To the to day the- from that dance where the doctor learned to waltz or discovered that he could waltz, mm-hmm. uh, even when he didn't have his memories. Um, Case I would, closed. Uh, I would also <laughs> say there's a disintegration connection. Remember yes. we were talking about the Day of the Daleks special effect. Which I would argue are better than the ones here. Like, I love that the, if you've listened to the last podcast, I was raving about the CGI version of Day of the Daleks. And the disintegration effects are so good because they, they have the beams. But only the beams, they blow apart the people, basically, that are, get disintegrated. Here, they just kind of fade away when they're shot. I feel like the CGI Day of the Daleks actually has better disintegration effects than human nature. <laughs> which Which would make sense, right? Because it was later... I think it was like sure. 2010, yeah. 2011, I think. But yeah, around that time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, CGI had evolved in leaps and bounds. There's there's one more thing I'll say, which um, okay, and and it brings me back to Baines, who I, I really just wanted to give a shout out to that actor uh, because I didn't know like he's he's such a chameleon. Like not only does he play play two roles in this, he's in Game of Thrones. He was Viserys, and mm-hmm. I, I did not recognize him. He was, you know, under a blood wig. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he was uh, Daenerys's uh, older brother, and and my goodness, he was obnoxious in that too. But here, it's not only a different quality of obnoxious, but like he is the one who sort of gets to to throw back in the headmaster's face what mm-hmm. all his mm-hmm. militarism means. Yeah. Right. What a beautiful yeah. scene. I mean, there there are villains who are just villainous, and then there are villainous villains who get to speak the truth, like they're mm-hmm. in the jester role, and that's kind of what Bane's is. And I feel like this, you know, that's in this particular moment. Armistice Day, with the the world the world situation as grave as it is, to to quote Day of the Daleks, um, yeah, that's a lesson we need to hear, see, and read this lesson over and over again. Do not send boys off to war. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is what happens. This is the cost. This is what it's like. All For sure. Honor and glory will matter nothing. Well, I can't I can't top that in terms of randomizer reasoning. So I'm just gonna we're gonna leave it there and moving on to the second question. What if the evil plot had succeeded? Okay. So what I like to do with these is always try to think of the thing closest to the end that you can change where the bad guys come out on top. And it seems to me it would be John Smith not being brave enough to open the watch and just giving mm. it to the family. Mm-hmm. And they do and they take it and they become immortal. And in the words of Joan, those creatures would live forever to breed and conquer for war across the stars for every child. Uh, so that's what we would have. But maybe they would look kindly on Earth, and maybe the Doctor would actually get to live out the rest of his life as John Smith. By the way, did you know? I, I didn't realize this, but apparently it's in the script that the day, the year that he actually dies in, in that flash forward where they, we see his mm-hmm. and Joan's life together, 1963. <laughs> I didn't know that. We should briefly mention the, the uh, mother being Verity. Yeah, being Sydney, yeah, yeah. reference to the new marriage Lambert in the book. Verity was his wife, so <laughs> they changed that a little bit. And there's a Doctor Who confidential where RTD sort of sounds like he's the one who did the homage <laughs> to Verity. <laughs> sounds yeah, like him. No, you, you just took it from the book, didn't you? Right. Um, but yeah. So yeah, if so what, the what family, if the family becomes immortal, 
Mm. And I, it's just, you know, like it, this is such a tight story. You never really learn quite enough about the family to know what that would be. Right. Cause they're these uh-huh. spheres and they have a ship, but is, you know, they're, they have a race, they have a people, they have ambitions beyond just living forever. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but assuming they do, do they sort of become the new time Lords? And now if you put this in the context of the season arc and what was happening, right. So, Saxon, it's already established Saxon is a prime minister. And so that implies at some point, like the TARDIS is still there. Does Martha somehow end up going to the end of the universe with or without Jack recruits the master somehow? And then they end up going to war with the family, you know? Like, like conquering the universe is his thing. He doesn't want these people in on his scene. <laughs> and he's got the Toclophane on his side already. Yeah, I guess. Although that wouldn't happen if he didn't have the TARDIS. So Saxon is immediately time locked. I think that's true. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If if the master can't get back from the end of time, then uh, yeah, none none of the rest would happen. So I don't know. Well, here's what I can say. Okay, Stephen, I, I want to hear your take first because I'm going to yeah. say what what happens in the book, which we touched on a little bit. But uh, given what you know from the show. Right. What would you assume happens if the evil plot succeeds? Well, they probably would have left Earth because uh, they were bored with it, uh, I reckon. And but it would have probably just gone off and been time jerks uh, in other parts of history. <laughs> and I don't think they would have given Earth a second thought. Maybe they give it a glancing mm. blow as they as they leave orbit or something like that. But uh, yeah, I don't think they pay it any mind. I think it was just a, a launching ground because that's where the doctor round up. So that's why they went there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's my besides- guess. That they'll be doing a good enough job of slaughtering each other, you know. In any yeah, time, yeah. Any honestly, place, yeah. In, I mean, actually, no. They they had a pretty good familiar re- relationship. Uh, I was impressed by that. Maybe once power got hold of them, maybe they would be a little more sniping around the dinner table. Oh, yeah, um, I meant the Earth people. <laughs> the, oh, the people they're the people. I thought right you meant the family of blood. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or or maybe perhaps since you know they weren't indestructible, maybe this is oh well, we'll get our ship ready, uh, and in about six or seven months we can get ready, and then of course they probably you know take a stray bullet uh, in the opening rounds of World War One, and they actually die on a battlefield somewhere in Belgium, uh, and that's what happens to the family blood, and uh, their rate of terror actually ends just shortly after after it would have done anyway. <laughs> so so this is this is definitely the segment where we find out how how little. Um, detail there was in the show compared to the book. In the book, mm. it is made quite clear that uh, this is a group of shape-shifting aliens uh, who Orb- Orbitides was was their name. Right. And right. Really not that. easy to remember. They can take any human form. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the There's one called Green Eye who I sort of think is supposed to be the Bane's one. Uh, right. Who uh, does like to have sex with all his victims first. So, uh, yeah. New adventures, really baby. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Really? <laughs> Seriously. Um, and uh, so th- they do, as, as I mentioned, there's this scene where we flash forward to Gallifrey and they're executing Romana and they're also executing Livia, uh, I think. And, you know, uh, th- there's it's sort of a scene in the ruins of Gallifrey. We fast mm-hmm. forward and see that they've, they've taken the Time Lords because they are this uh you know they they cannot extend beyond six in a family uh they, they cannot pod more often than that that's how they mm. reproduce um they're pod people and uh yeah so time lord pod people basically they take <laughs> over you end up right. conquering the galaxy taking so, it's like a pre-time war 
Very much so, yes. Ooh, mm. would, would that be pre-time? Or... Yeah. God even knows how it would fit into continuity. My goodness. All right. Well, many answers to that question. And we will move on, though, to the third question, which, of course, is, where is the Clara Splinter? Clara Oswald, of course, splintered in time at the end of the name of the Doctor. She is somewhere in every single Doctor Who story. What is she doing in human nature and the family of blood? She's okay. at the dance. She's at the dance uh, because the dance. Clara loves a good dance, I think. And so she's uh, in mm. sort of the background, sort of hovering around, dancing with um, some uh, local who thinks he's going to uh, <laughs> get, get, get advanced, perhaps, uh, as far as a he's second date with a new her. adventure. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but Clara knows that no, no, this is uh, I'm just <laughs> I'm just keeping an eye, keeping an eye on someone who's keeping an eye on the doctor in the background. That's my guess. Well, maybe yes, because Martha could easily fail in that in that scene, right? Or mm-hmm. or the doctor could fail and blurt out too quickly, like which one he wants the family of blood to shoot. Yeah. Know, between mm-hmm. Martha and Joan. Uh, so, so so my the, thought was it's going to she, Clara answers the question that we've all had ever since this episode was broadcast, which is where did that little girl get her balloon? Mm. She's selling balloons. There she is. And she's selling <laughs> safe balloons because back then they would have been filled with hydrogen, not helium. But Ooh. Clara splintered in time knows this and is all like, you know what? That's got to be a helium balloon. Because you know the doctor's got enough problems, right. he doesn't want to worry about a balloon exploding. I've, so I've, I've seen the Hindenburg and one of my other splinters, so I know the damage. <laughs> exactly. She may she may also be a scarecrow who is kind of teaching all the other scarecrows to walk in that weird way. It mm-hmm. means that they're actually slower uh, at crucial moments than they might otherwise have been. There you um, go. But also, I've got to say, so you know, th- this is nothing against. Uh, Jessica Hines, who's who's fantastic in, in the role of Joan, but she's specifically described in the story as as quite quite plain looking, quite ordinary. Uh, Bernice Summerfield sort of actually quite surprised that the Doctor is falling for this woman, and I think that's sort of the intention of the show, right? That they, they haven't tried to, they've not given her any makeup. Mm-hmm. Like the intention, she's a little bit plain, but the, but the Doctor keeps the Doctor falls for her anyway, right? Uh, and when he looks like a David Tennant, I mean, even like he's mm-hmm. just clearly, and, and it's kind of sweet. It's sweet that they have a romance, but I think that maybe Clara, her hand is at work here as well. And she's making sure that Joan is not too attractive. <laughs> make up this, not just physically, not just right. physically. Like she's, she's the friend who's sort of whispering racist ideas in her ear. Uh, you know, wow. like just, be sure she's giving her sure. a reverse makeover for both yeah, her exactly. appearance and her personality. Yeah, yeah. Because if the crux point is John Smith not wanting to open the pocket watch, you've really got to do everything you can to make her like, and, and if he's got this powerful attraction to her, like mm-hmm. you know, love that will transcend barriers, anything you can do to kind of switch his decision in that moment, right? Just make her a little bit more plain or, or say things the wrong way. I don't know. I don't know what the, the coaching that Clara is going to give her there, but like clearly it was enough for him to just decide okay i guess you know the survival of the galaxy is more important than my affection for this woman mm-hmm. there we go she's either at the dance selling balloons or part of joan's book club 
<laughs> or all three. Could be all three, actually. Yeah. That's not bad. Triple duty. Yeah. It has to work three jobs to survive in this economy. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. It's time to move on to the final question. The ultimate question. The only question that matters for human nature and the family of blood. What did we think of this story? The Pulte Open rating system, of course, has six ratings. Got to do that on two hands. Uh, there's the Dalek, which we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we give to a bad episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which we give to a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. But hey, at least they tried something. The Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. The Fixed Point in Time, which we give to a story that is beyond rating. We usually can't rate it for reasons of nostalgia, but sometimes for other reasons. And the Lady Cassandra, which is a paper-thin plot, but it looks good, especially if you give it a little moisturizing. So first, Stephen, uh, read that back for me. Attention, <laughs> <laughs> boy. What's the what's the rating? Why don't we why don't we go first, Chris right. and I, and then you can basically be either the tiebreaker or the um, having your own rating. Sure. Your, the the arm's length further out uh, uh, thing. Uh, Chris, go ahead. Go for it. All right. Well, I I don't think there's any question here of of what this is. I, I a rewatch has not withered it. Age shall not. Whatever. Whatever. Um, no, human nature is just as good as, as it first was first broadcast. You have to be a really picky fan to say that the the book was substantially better. I think after having done both, I can say that it's about fifty fifty in terms of which one is like pocket watch better than cricket ball but like a lot of stuff in the book like you know future vision of time lords better than not understanding what family of blood's true goal is right so it kind of balances out in the end and and for for a tv show adaptation of a book that is phenomenal the fact that it gets even close i mean of course helps having the original author there to uh, to rewrite it and rtd one of the best uh, you know script writers in tv history to to edit it and and not settle for anything less than brilliant so yeah, I I thought this was was top notch when I first saw it. My my opinion hasn't changed. If anything, it's got a little bit better. This is a Viscount banger through and through. One banger in. All right. Well, I'm going to tell first what my family thought of it. They loved it. So my kids both watched this with me. Did uh, you mean they were both of mine and son of mine. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, so David Tennant is Grace's favorite doctor. Grace is my daughter. She's 10. Uh, she really liked seeing him play John Smith. She was kind of riveted throughout and sort of on, you know, as you supposed to be on the road, when is he going to become the doctor? She was just mm-hmm. constantly thinking that. And, um, at the end of the first, uh, episode at the cliffhanger, Jack just remarked how much he loved the storytelling of this era. He's like, oh man, these Doctor Who's from this time. He was just like, you know, he's not a fan of the 13th Doctor, blah, 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 whatever. We don't have to get into that. But he just was immediately like, I, I, he just loved watching these old Doctor Who's from this time. And as soon as we'd finished the second one, he just said, hot take, Viscount Banger. Completely agree with him. He, it's totally a banger. It's like the the, the villains, like the suspense, I mean, Tennant's performance, I honestly, we, we started to rave about it. I don't think we raved about it enough. The way he just really plays John Smith differently, 
um, to the point where he has one line when he sort of mm-hmm. forgets himself for a minute with the when he's holding the watch, and he sounds so different. Like he has that one little bit, and you're just like, you just suddenly realize how much he was he was not playing the doctor the whole time. Yeah, um, so so good. And who could I ever forget that final scene with Joan? Like just powerful. Totally. Uh, you know what? Bef- before we get to Stephen's rating, I will just say that what you said about Grace reminded me that Paul Cornell said one of the inspirations for this was Superman 2. Oh, Superman yeah. Decides to go human for the love of Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. And Superman 2, I don't know if you guys, when I first saw that, I was traumatized mm. at the very idea that Superman could choose to make himself not human. So, Or not uh, Superman. I, I could see that aspect being very, very scary to to a fan of the doctor so i'm glad that she uh she enjoyed it regardless mm-hmm. all right steven what do you got uh make it unanimous viscount banger uh hey. i was gonna uh p- applaud david i feel like this is i, I like david tennant i think i've liked uh matt smith and peter Capaldi a little more there's a little closer to my 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 you know, feelings of, 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 of what a doctor should be to me anyway. But I feel like, especially in watching a, an episode a day, as I was doing earlier this year, um, I, he's good. He's good as the doctor. He is human as the doctor, but then when you finally get sort of the difference between what a human David Tennant would be, and then what doc, the doctor would be, as, as you were mentioning Pete, when, when that, that one scene where he just drops into doctor mode and you realize mm. how much you miss that, that, doctor at that moment just like martha sort of like oh, he's there you know you, you can tell he's there um and he's great and i i love his series four performance i think it's there's some of his best work is in that you know there's some great scenes in the doctor's daughter which is not a good episode but he is fabulous mm-hmm. in it um and uh, all throughout uh, with with uh, with catherine tate so and i feel like that the the really great actor of his of his generation which i think david Tennant is certainly up there yeah. sort of begins with um with this episode i think he really shows off his acting chops without having it be a showy performance it it it's you know a very sensitive performance when he's john smith and and he's and then he's doctor who and and it's, it is two separate characters but both equally compelling and uh, i think his performance uh, is just the the icing on the cake in a in a very good episode Nice. Yeah, our, oh, and you know, only we, we, our second triple banger in Pull to yeah. Open history. Wow. <laughs> the only <laughs> other one being the Day of the Doctor, which is almost, I'm thinking, two years to the day almost. Mm-hmm. I'll have yes. to check when we actually did that one. And but, of course, because we now have ranking as well as rating, I could say that this automatically drops uh, Human Nature, Family of Blood into the, the top 12 uh, mm. It will be no lower than Fugitive of the Jadoon uh, when we do our next uh, ratings, uh, as we just did in our top 100. Go check out that episode. Also, go check out our episode on the best actors to play Doctor Who, because we did not give Tenant the nod in that. Um, mm. I think because we were looking at like how they how they performed as the Doctor, right? And and that's like you're absolutely right. He is great in the role of John Smith here, and that's like. Maybe the first time you see him really stretching himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think he would do a m- lot more in season four and uh, culminating in playing another human version of the doctor, right? Yep. The, the meta crisis doctor. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can say that this was practice for that, but my goodness, does he knock it out of the park here and may want to revisit might, our best actors. We might, we might need to do it. 
All right. There it is, folks. We're going to close the cover on this epic tale. And now we need to head into our own time machine and activate the randomizer. So the randomizer, of course, consists of two parts. First is the codex, which I have in front of me. It is a spreadsheet that you can find a link to in the show notes with every single episode of Doctor Who on it. And the thing, the random elements that we add to the codex, which someone must helm, <laughs> is also known as the executor. That's okay. We got we got someone here. You could you Actually, can go yes. Would, would you like to uh, take take the helm of of random.org for for the purposes of deciding our next story? Would you like to see where we're? I would, would be like honored. Send I would us be, into the do it. <laughs> get your oh, hand right. on that baby so at random.org uses as uh, of course as all pull to open fans know atmospheric noise to simulate true randomness much better than a computer um, so it could be messages from the doctor we're not sure we're still looking into that but as soon as I knock off human nature in the family yes. of blood we can spin the wheel, but we like to challenge the randomizer too. Well, first, to do how that. many stories do we have left, Pete? What's well, the that number? would be now that I've knocked it off. Two hundred, even. Two hundred. We've done it. We've done it, people. There are only two hundred stories in Doctor Who for pull to open left to watch. I'm sure that they are not going to mess this up by releasing any new ones anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> We're good. We've reached. We will not dip back over the two hundred point. We're going to dip under. It's hundreds all the way from here, baby. Or not. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> so, Stephen, you're you're sitting at random.org with one <laughs> as the min and two hundred as the max. Two hundred at the max. All right, I okay, am. All right, so don't spin it yet. We got to challenge the randomizer. So, okay. Chris, you go ahead. Yeah. What's your What's your deal? What do you want? Ooh, wow. Well. You know, this really got me thinking about the whole question of, like, you know, the the classic Doctor, the new Doctor uh, romance. Uh, you know, that's very much what Paul Carnell was, was exploring in the book. Like, the, the fact that Doctor had never been allowed to have romance, obviously knew who changed that forever. Uh, but meanwhile, of course, you've got uh, Paul McGann sticking his hand up from the TV movie and saying, Hey, uh, actually, I, I kissed a companion first. Um so take us to something a little, a little romantic uh, as these dark nights draw in cuffing season begins uh, not necessarily the doctor's romance um, but maybe if you want to do classic who uh, randomize it. it's entirely up to you then, then take us something classic who that maybe has more romance than we suspected nice that's good stuff romance I'm going to go alien the, we saw alien doctor in this one uh, towards the end there and I'm kind of giving the randomizer an excuse to take us to Capaldi its favorite doctor I think <laughs> to just give <laughs> give us a little bit of uh, more of that alien doctor taste I like it oh alien doctor is your request okay yeah uh, Stephen, do you have a little something you want to ask the randomizer for uh, well let me think about this um, I'm just trying to think so there's an actor in uh, this who is who plays a tiny role, and but he had a very uh, a very large career leading up to this, 
Uh, I think it, I'm just as I scrambled to, to get his name right. I was right. Was it, it the is, uh, was it the headmaster? No, it wasn't. It was the doorman uh, no. saying, uh, you know, uh, his name is Derek Smith. He had a long and story career and died only recently. And um, he was a very, you know, it was this was his first and only Doctor Who, obviously, and obviously at the end of a very very prestigious career he wasn't getting the best of roles which is rather sad he was in an episode of blake seven though as i recall he was the lead villain in a blake seven episode called shadow which uh, also featured another person from doctor who uh, adrian burgess who was in the sun makers so i want uh, that link to go and i want the if you haven't chosen it yet i want the <laughs> sun makers to Ooh, i love the sun makers and there's yeah. some time lord victorious stuff in that one right other time lords but that, mm-hmm. that would be pretty amazing and by the way i just want to congratulate you on the most radio free scarrow-esque challenge to the randomizer <laughs> you could have done right that you name checked blake seven <laughs> the random actors and connections it's like i was listening to you guys banter all over again <laughs> right <laughs> just how my uh, mind works that's awesome okay uh, i will just mention i i predicted if we get taken to the tv movie as I said at the top of the show, right. it's it's Edmonton's fault. Okay. <laughs> Usually is. So, uh, All right, Stephen, I'm going to give you a countdown. Here we go. Okay. Four, three, two, one. The number is 39. 39. We're in classic. And we are at... <gasps> the three, count them, three doctors. <laughs> Wow. Wow. For the 60th. Like we're going to be, I think this is going to be the thing we post that weekend. Isn't it? For the, for the anniversary. Yeah. It may yeah. Be. yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, Steven, <laughs> you did it. it. I did it. It's taken us from the 60th <laughs> to the 10th anniversary. Wow. That's incredible. What are the chances? Well, one in 200, obviously. Um, <laughs> Guys, this has been awesome. It's also been pulled to open. It's a podcast. What a podcast. Well, there are things you subscribe to in whatever app you are doing. Go ahead and do that for pulled to open. Why don't you go ahead and do that for Radio Free Scaro too, if you haven't already. Yeah. Uh, you can subscribe you really to both of our podcasts on wherever you find podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, et cetera, et cetera. Go find them. We're also on the YouTubes at youtube.com slash pull to open. Uh, all the socials, which we mentioned before, were either pull to open 63 or pull to open. Thank you, Martin West, for our music. Uh, Steven, any final words or message or just want to tell people where to find you online? Uh, well, I'm uh, one of the three people at Radio Free Scarrow. Uh, we've been going since uh, before Human Nature Family of Blood was originally <laughs> broadcast. Uh, wow. Yeah, I know. And uh, and then we still have so much to talk about every single week in Doctor Who. I'm so happy to do a Doctor Who podcast. I'm really happy that Sequest DSV one didn't get off the ground. Otherwise, we would have canceled it after uh, 15 weeks. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's a lot of it's it's a lot of fun uh, to talk about Doctor Who every week, and it's a lot of fun to talk about to, to different people about Doctor Who uh, every week. So thank you for having me on. It was totally our pleasure. Thank you for coming. All right, folks, we are going to see you next time for a special episode of Pull to Open, where we might talk about a little inspiration, a comic book called The Star Beast, not the actual 60th anniversary special, The Star Beast, but I'm sure it'll come up. And then 
we're heading to the three doctors the 10th anniversary on the 60th anniversary could never be better thanks for listening we will see you soon